Welcome to the house of the Lord. Bine ați venit la casa Domnului. Haideți să ne ridicăm pe picioare. Today we have a double celebration. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. This morning it was packed with so many fathers. And secondly, we celebrated along with a group of young people that dedicate their lives to the Lord. Amen. We want to continue to to celebrate and worship and sing of of how Christ rescued us. Amen. The first song says Duar Christos Speranza Mia. Let's worship together.
aici în numele Domnului Isus, pentru că îl iubim și vrem să fim mai lui, să-i aparținem lui. De aceea vă binecuvântez în numele Domnului pe toți cei ce ați decis să veniți în prezența Domnului și aș vrea ca Duhul Sfânt să vă cerceteze în această seară. Aș vrea ca prezența Domnului să umple acest loc pentru că este casa lui Dumnezeu. Vreau să citesc un îndemn în psalmul 133. Iată ce plăcut și ce dulce este să locuiască frații împreună. Este ca un de lemnul de prest care turnat pe capul lui se coboară pe barbă, pe barba lui Aron se coboară pe marginea veșmintelor lui. Este ca roa Hermonului care se coboară pe munții Sionului, căci acolo dă Domnul binecuvântarea, viață pentru veșnicie, slăvi să fie Domnul. Suntem aici ca să ne bucurăm de prezența și de harul lui Dumnezeu. Cei care sunt aici au această motivație ca să fie cercetați de Duhul Sfânt al Lui Dumnezeu. Aș vrea ca să ne rugăm în direcția aceasta. Aș vrea ca să cerem prezența Lui să acopere toate nevoile noastre. Duhul Sfânt să lucreze, să ne modeleze. Pentru că noi trebuie să potrivim în templul noului Ierusalim. Trebuie să fim ca aceste pietre care erau cioplite în munți și aduse și s-a făcut templu fără să se bată o lovitură de ciocan. Pentru că toate au fost pregătite dinainte. Dumnezeu ne pregătește aici și ne vrea cu gelozie pentru el. Se bucură cerul că în această zi șase suflete au încheiat legământ cu Domnul. Este minunat, slăvit să fie Domnul. Un motiv de bucurie. Să încredințăm în mâna Domnului fiecare familie a poporului, fiecare suflet. Și mai ales pe cei care s-au depărtat de casa Domnului să-i rugăm, să rugăm pe Duhul Sfânt să-i atragă prin mijloacele pe care Dumnezeu le are la dispoziție. Să ne rugăm și pentru construcția nouă, pentru că se vede că locul acesta uneori nu ne încape. Acum ne încape, dar credem că și Dumnezeu are un plan de lucrare mai mare și mai măreț. Slăviți să fie Domnul! Ne uităm și la copiii aceștia, ne uităm la un viitor pe care Dumnezeu l-a pregătit pentru comunitatea noastră, Și am vrea ca această lucrare să se facă prin Duhul Sfânt al Lui Dumnezeu. Ne rugăm în seara aceasta pentru robul Domnului, pentru cuvântul Domnului, ca un delemnul de preț să fie turnat din plin, ca Duhul Sfânt să fie peste noi, să ne putem bucura de Harul Lui Dumnezeu. Vreți aceasta? Dumnezeu să lucreze cu puterea Lui. Haideți să ne rugăm în direcția aceasta toți, ne înălțăm rugăciunea pe Domnul.
Ne vom închina Domnului după masa aceasta, pentru că Dumnezeul nostru merită toată închinarea. De aceea vă invit, atenția noastră principală să nu fie la altceva sau la altcineva, ci noi să privim în după masa aceasta la cel care poate să se ocupe de sufletele noastre. Și știu că fiecare dintre noi am venit aici pentru că avem nevoie de ceva din partea Domnului. Poate avem nevoie de un cuvânt de îmbărbătare, poate avem nevoie de un cuvânt chiar de mustrare, poate avem nevoie de un cuvânt de corectare, dar în seara aceasta zicem, vorbește Doamne că robii tăi ascultă. De aceea, haideți să ne închinăm împreună cu corul mixt, după care un grup de verișori din Rudenile Chira, apoi un grup de copii cu poem pentru Father's Day, Kids Choir, care va lăuda numele Domnului apoi, Și sigur că sora Alice Corce în urmă, de asemenea, cu o cântare spre Sava Domnului. Înainte să ocupați locurile, dați mâna cu cei din jur și binecuvântați-i numele Domnului.
Doamne, îți mulțumesc și te preamăresc pentru bunătatea zmare. În dimineața de astăzi am văzut bunătatea lui Dumnezeu, în primul rând că m-a sculat din așternut. A doilea am văzut că mai un nepot și-a predat viața mâna Domnului. Dumnezeu să-l binecuvinteze, dar nu numai pe el, pe toți care și-au predat viața. Se ajute ca toată viața, atât ei cât și noi, să-l slujim. Amin.
Fathers are wonderful people to little in the street. We do not sing their praises often that we should. For father seems to be the man who pays the bills, while mother binds up little hurts and nurses all our ills. And father chuckles daily to live up to his image as protector, provider, and hero of the scrimmage. But if you look inside dad's heart where no one else can see, And perhaps that is the reason we sometimes get the notion that fathers are not subject to the thing we call emotion. <laughs> but if you look inside Dad's heart, when no one else can see, you'll find a sentimental and as soft as he can be. But he's too busy every day in the green grace of life, but he leads the sentimental stuff to his partner and his wife. Fathers are just wonderful in a million different ways, and they merit loving compliments and accolades of praise. For the only reason Dad aspires to fortune and success is to make the family proud of him and bring them happiness. And like our Heavenly Father, he's a guardian and a guide, someone we can count on to be always on our side. Happy Father's Day.
Jesus, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory 
Dați să fie Domnul! Timp ce vom cânta Domnului cu toți într-o cântare în comun, ne vom închina cu darle noastre de bunăvoie, Dumnezeu să vă binecuvinteze dărnicia și încrederea dumneavoastră în bunătatea lui Dumnezeu și în purtarea de grijă a Domnului.
anunțurile pentru seara aceasta și pentru viitor. Săptămâna în care am intrat sunt programe și întâlniri obișnuite ale bisericii, întâlnirea bisericii de peste săptămână, miercuri, seara, repetițiile formațiilor care se cunosc. Încă o dată vrem să continuăm să ne rugăm Domnului pentru frații care sunt propuși pentru ordinare, fratele Alinila și în slujba de păstor, Balas Florin, Dariu Mois, David Ușvat pentru slujbele de diacon. În atenția noastră aș vrea ca să fie deci 10 iulie, când vom avea cina Domnului pentru luna iulie, ținând cont că 3rd of July e duminica, vrem ca să ținem cont de faptul că mulți pleacă în concediu. Biserica va avea slujbe divine, dar nu vom avea cina Domnului. Apoi, cât privește votul pentru frații care sunt propuși pentru ordinare, va avea loc în 10 și 17 iulie, pentru toți cei care sunt membri ai bisericii cu drept de vot, vom avea posibilitatea să ne exprimăm dorința vis-a-vis de ordinările și de propunerile care s-au, s-au adus în fața dumneavoastră. Dacă plecați în concediu, aveți concediu programat și nu puteți să fiți în nici una din cele două duminici anunțate pentru vot, vă rugăm să luați legătura cu noi, dacă sunteți membri cu drepturi de pline, putem ca să și avem o soluție pentru dumneavoastră să puteți să votați și să vă exprimați dorința dumneavoastră. Cu ajutorul Domnului, încă o dată, vă reamintesc ce spuneam și azi dimineață, că Duminică, duminica viitoare, vom fi vizitați de un grup din Los Angeles, seria Biserica Tabor, păstorită de fratele Gabi Covaci, un grup destul de mare, dacă tinerii noștri pleacă la camp și așa sunt programările, frații au intenția și dorința să vină cu tinerii lor la noi să ne viziteze, deci vom avea slujbe divină, ne vom ruga ca Domnul să lucreze și din toată inima zicem ca Domnul să fie lăudat. Apoi, așa cum spuneam azi dimineață, după masa aceasta, vrem ca să înmânăm certificatele prin care să-și amintească tinerii care s-au botezat de ziua deciziei lor. De asemenea, avem o Biblie din partea bisericii cu inscripția numelui lor, to make sure that they read the Bible. Să citească cuvântul lui Dumnezeu, Dumnezeu să-i binecuvinteze. În sensul acesta, rog pe fratele păstor Samu și să vină să mă ajute. Primul care vrem să-i mânăm și apoi rog să formeze online, aici în față, standing is Cristian Bolzan. Și vrem să le mânăm treaba aceasta în mod alfabetic, fără să fie vreo preferință demonstrată, Grace Dunn. Aiden Dejeu, he is smiling, that's good. Benjamin Stulanek. Hannah Ursulescu. You can go to the right side, uh, Benny. You can go on this side, yeah. The kids won't mind to have you there. 
Isaac Uzvat. Haideți încă o dată să-i felicităm și să zicem, Domnul să-i binecuvintează. Înainte ca să ne rugăm pentru ei, din partea Departamentului de Tineret, am înțeles că există o atenție care se dă, uh, nu știu, David, where are you? If you want to come and hang, give them something. Haideți să ne ridicăm cu toți în picioare și fratele păstor Samuși va înălța o rugăciune de binecuvântare peste viața lor și zicem din toată inima Domnul să-i călăuzească, Dumnezeu să-i păzească și decizia care a luat-o azi să țină până la capătul vieții lor. Amin. Te lăudăm, Doamne, pe Tine și îți mulțumim din toată inima că în această seară suntem în locul acesta, în casa Ta unde se cheamă numele Tău. Îți mulțumim, Doamne, din toată inima pentru aceste suflete tinere care s-au întors la Tine, Doamne, care și-au mărturisit astăzi dedicația lor pentru toată viața, Doamne, de a Te sluji pe Tine până la sfârșitul vieții lor. Te rugăm din toată inima să-i binecuvintezi. Te rugăm să binecuvintezi părinților, Doamne, care s-au rugat pentru ei, care au lucrat-o, Doamne, din toată inima pentru ca Doamne, ei să se întoarcă la Tine. Te rog din toată inima să-i binecuvintezi-o, Doamne. Îți mulțumim pentru lucrarea Duhului Sfânt care ai dezvoltat-o în mijlocul nostru, Doamne, căci Tu ai lucrat prin toate manifestările lucrării Tale la inima lor, ca ei să se întoarcă la Tine și să declare în această zi căci Tu ești Domnul și Mântuitorul lor personal. Te rog din toată inima să-i binecuvintezi. Cu toții, Doamne, cerem ca ei să fie conduși și călăuziți de Duhul Tău cel Sfânt. Să folosească cuvânt Cuvântul Tău care l-au primit-o, Doamne, să-l folosească în fiecare zi, Doamne, și să lase, și să lași ca acest cuvânt să transforme inima lor, viața lor, Doamne. Așa cum i-am dedicat, Doamne, din pruncie, să fie ai Tăi pentru toată viața, cerem și în această seară, Doamne, ca binecuvântarea Ta să fie peste ei. Ajutorul Tău să le fie acordat pentru tot restul vieții, Doamne. Binecuvintează-i în școlile în care se află. Binecuvintează-i mai târziu în serviciile lor. Binecuvintează-i în societate, Doamne. Și oriunde se vor găsi, să arate că ei sunt copiii Tăi, demn de împărăția Ta. Binecuvântat să fie numele Tău. Îți mulțumim pentru lucrarea care ai făcut-o în viața lor. Binecuvintează-i încă o dată, Doamne. Cercetează-i, Doamne. Cercetează-le inima. Binecuvintează-i cu tot ceea ce au nevoie, Doamne, pentru a se apropia de Tine mai mult. Îți mulțumim că Tu ești cu ei și vei fi cu noi mai departe până la sfârșitul vieții noastre, Doamne. Îi încredințăm în mâna Ta cea bună și binecuvântată. A Ta să fie slava, lauda și cinstea în veci de veci. Amin. Vă invit să ocupați locurile. You may go back to your seats. God bless you. Continuăm închinarea noastră înaintea Domnului cu un duet, Nica în Stefania Lozi. Ne bucurăm să-i avem cu noi în după masa aceasta și astăzi cu noi. Corul mixt, un trio, Ethan, Hannah and Grace și în urmă Kids Choir, de asemenea, laudă din nou numele Domnului.
Venus of being uh, a pastor in Sacramento. <laughs> um, I just want to say that um, I just want to say that we I am so happy for all the people that got baptized today. You guys were all part of the kids choir, the original kids choir. So I've seen you guys when you were five and now you guys are 15, 16, 17. It is a blessing. It is a miracle. You have no idea. Um, I can probably attest for probably Christina, Victor, and I. We definitely prayed for you guys, and I remember just praying in the car, God, please have them just continue to walk in the faith and not let it just be their parents' faith. So it is amazing. And so I just want to um, tell you guys that you guys have made such an amazing decision, and um, some, and then just something, an encouragement is um, just to keep walking out your faith no matter if times get hard or anything. And something that I just, just something that came up in my mind in Philippians, it says, do everything without arguing or grumbling so that you may be pure and blameless in this crooked generation and that you may shine like the stars. And I pray that's what all of us can be, stars in this world where it is dark. And so let's just sing and praise God together. Crucem ai ai portat ca să trăiesc în libertatea ce tu mi-ai dat. Și acum trăiesc, dar nu mai trăiesc eu, trăiesc pentru tine, o Domnul meu, vrenic ești toată Iisus. Slavă toată gloria, vrenic ești toată, Iisus, Tu meriți slavă toată gloria. Rușinea-i mi-ai luat, asta uimit de dragostea ce mi-ai dăruit. Ce mare harul tău și mila ta, în vește veci te voi lăuda. Vrenic ești toată, Fie 
میشین چه رو بینت زد آره جسفم قاریت دست قمقلتم پر سای نون بفرفم
a vremea potrivită, Dumnezeu pe toți să-i nască din nou. Citim cuvântul Domnului în după masa aceasta din programul de citire al Bisericii Locale din Cartea Profetului Ezechiel. În dorința noastră de a citi cuvântul Domnului întregime și Noul și Vechiul Testament și Psalmii, anul acesta suntem la profeții mari, am terminat cu Isaia, suntem la cu Ieremia, suntem la Ezechiel, capitolul 11, Și vă invit să ne ridicăm în picioare, fratele Chris Balaj va da citire în limba engleză, vă rugăm să urmărim împreună, după care worship team ne va conduce în închinare, pregătindu-ne inimile ca de nou să ascultăm cuvântul Domnului prin robul care Domnul a trimis între noi, slujitorul său, fratele Teo Scorțe, pe care ne rugăm ca Domnul să umple cu Duhul Sfânt. Amin. Happy Father's Day to all the dads here tonight. May God bless you guys and continue to strengthen you. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 11. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the house of the Lord, which faces east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway, there were 25 men. And I saw among them Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in this city, who say, The time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, Thus says the Lord, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city and have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Your slain whom whom you have laid in the midst of it, they are the meat, and this city is the cauldron, but you shall be brought out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring the sword upon you, declares the Lord God, and I will bring you out of the midst of it and will give you into the hands of foreigners and execute judgments upon you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be of your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst of it. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. And it came to pass, while I was prophesying, that Pelatiah the son of Benaiah died. Then I fell down on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord, to us this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I remove them far off among the nations, and though I have scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. 
and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up for me, and I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. Amen.
there couldn't have been uh, better worship songs to lead us into the word for tonight. If you paid attention to the words that we read, and if you know your Bible, we were singing about two generations. We were singing about the Moses generation that was led out of Egypt by the hand. And we were singing about the Joshua generation that was brought into the promised land. And this evening, we're going to talk about those two generations. And I want to get right into the scripture before I ask you to have a seat. And we're going to talk about the fundamental, major differences between these two generations who have similar, identical experiences with the same God, but who have completely different, completely different results. We're going to read from Numbers chapter 13. A little bit of context. Moses is sending the people into the promised land. They select 12 spies, one from each tribe, 12 men of valor, 12 pillars in the church, 12 elders, 12 deacons, 12 pastors, whatever you want to call them. And they say, hey, go into this land. And we pick up the report in Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they, are spread, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim, those are giants. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That night... All the people of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we have died in Egypt. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning 
them. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Verse number 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised to their forefathers. Amen. You may be seated. What a passage, huh? What a passage. What a, what a text to read. Yet it's in Scripture, isn't it? And it's there to guide you and I in our walk with the Lord. The Bible, we still believe, is there to strengthen us in our walk with God. Amen? And we talk about these generations, and um, I realized as we were singing with the worship team, so I don't know who picks the songs, but we're in the same spirit here. And I realized the power of the song that we read, and the power of the song is not in the testimony of the people. Because as we will see today, the testimony of the people is one to weep over, it's one to cry over, it's one to ignore. What makes that song powerful is it reminds us of, uh, reminds us of God's faithfulness. It reminds us of God's power. And that is what motivates us, and that is what strengthens us, and that's what ought to speak into our lives today. But the Moses generation, oh, the Moses generation is a generation where a promise is squandered, a promise is wasted. The Moses generation is a lost generation, a generation that never experiences the potential, the promise, the goodness that God has in store for them. And the generation that follows right after them, the Joshua generation, oh, the Joshua generation is a completely different generation. It's a generation that takes hold of the promises that God has. It's sad, it's depressing, it's encouraging all at the same time because we realize that it doesn't matter where you came from. I don't know what kind of parents you had. I don't know what kind of environment you came from. But how many of us know that God can break generational curses like that? Amen? It doesn't matter if your dad was an alcoholic, if your mom didn't love you. In an instant, with no promise, being stuck in the desert for 40 years, the Joshua generation, one generation away from defeat, one generation away from catastrophe, that generation rises up out of the ashes and takes hold of God's promises. Amen. You know what that means? That there is a lot of power in the Joshua generation. And you want to know who the Joshua generation is? It's you and it's me. It's the people that are living in today. And there are valuable lessons that the Joshua generation took from the Moses generation. The Joshua generation was never raised in Egypt and they never stepped foot into the promised land. The Joshua generation is one of the most cursed generations. They live in the desert for more than 40 years. They don't know anything but sand. They don't know anything but sun. They don't know the brooks of the Nile. They don't know the meat of the Nile. They don't know the blessings of Egypt. And they only heard about the promises of Canaan. How many of you think that you need to be blessed today to experience God's blessing tomorrow? How many of you think that you need to come from a blessed family yesterday to experience God's blessing tomorrow. The Joshua generation says no. 
We serve a God who lives in today, amen? We serve a God who lives in right now. And the Joshua generation is a blessed generation. You know why? Because they know exactly what they shouldn't do. They've had a first row seat at exactly how to not live their lives. And the Moses generation is an example for us to ignore. It's a generation that ought to be studied with our children, with our spouses, because the catastrophe that falls upon this generation is so great and can so easily be avoided that we would be foolish to not look inside of God's word. When we think of success, successful churches, let's start there because we're in a church. What makes a successful church? What makes a successful company? That's less personal. Uh, good leadership, purpose. We need strong words, passion. What else? Power. Oh, if only we had a, a church that was filled with power, if only we had clear vision, if only we had amazing leadership, I want to ask you, the Moses generation, did they have amazing leadership? Oh, amen. Moses is one of the greatest prophets ever to be born of a woman. Moses is one of the greatest men ever to be used by God. You know what that tells me? Leadership is not the answer. How you like that? In a world where everyone talks about leadership, in a world where everyone talks about people, we are reminded that the one true God that leads this church, his name is Yahweh. And churches flourish not because we put our trust in people, not because we put our trust in leadership, but because we put our trust in God. And the Moses generation is a perfect example of people, godly men and women, with phenomenal leadership and catastrophic failure. It's not a leadership problem. Let me tell you right now. It's not a purpose or direction. If only we knew the direction of the church, if only we knew the direction of the department that we're in, if only we knew the if only they were more clear. You think if you would have ran into an Israelite marching through the desert and say, "Hey, where are you guys headed?" Do you think any Israelite would have shrugged their shoulders? I, I don't know. Everybody's just going this direction. I'm just Long for the ride. I, we're going somewhere. I just don't know where we're going. Let me tell you, every single Israelite, from the day they stepped out of Egypt, as they were walking into the promised land, they knew the destination. The promised land was the destination. That was the purpose. That was the direction. It didn't have a vision issue. How many of you know that you can have leadership, vision, purpose, and still experience catastrophic failure? Oh, okay, Brother Theo, but you know what we need? Oh, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy, we need the Holy Spirit. If only God would work like he did back in Lipova, back in Bujak, back in Burzuk. If only we had the supernatural manifestation of God's power in our churches, that would solve all of our issues. They saw the Red Sea split. Manna came down from heaven. They were led by a pillar of fire at night, led by a cloud in the daytime. There couldn't have been a more awesome and raw manifestation of God's power. And with that, with God's faithfulness, the Israelites still face in the Moses generation catastrophe. Let me tell you something. 
If you think your situation, you personally, not your wife, not your husband, you as a Christian, as a man of God, as a, if you think that leadership is the answer to the apathy, if you think that leadership is the answer to the lukewarmness, if only we had more vision, you're in for a rude awakening. And that is what we need to learn from the Moses generation. Why do you think the Holy Spirit penned? I always tell people, Scripture is the most valuable real estate on the face of the planet. You understand that? These thin pages, inspired by the Spirit of God, are the most purposeful words and letters ever put on paper. Nothing is in the Word of God without divine purpose and intention. And God knew that there would be a generation that would come back that would have leadership, that would have purpose, that would have vision, that would have testimonies of God's power, yet on the verge of disaster. Because that is the Moses generation. And that's why we're going to learn what the Joshua generation did differently. First of all, lessons to learn. Number one, the truth will not always lie in the majority. majoritate. The truth does not lie in the majority. How many spies went out? How many? Who said 12? Good job. There we go. We know our Bible. 12. How many, how many came back with an honest, positive report? Two. Two. Two out of 12. We got a mathematician in here. What are the odds there? What's that percentage? 17? Man, I didn't think he was going to get it, but he got it, brother. <laughs> He got it. 17%. Those aren't great odds. Those aren't great odds. Let me tell you what I find interesting about the majority. When things go good, we like to take credit for it. When things go bad, we like to be in the minority. When things go good in the church, we like to be in the majority. When things go bad in church, all of a sudden we like to be in the minority. And the majority, this democratic mindset, which is great for government, love America, love our democracy, is not how God ordains the church. There's no president. There's no vice president. There's just God. And everyone else is a vessel. And everyone else is a servant. And everyone, everyone else is on the same, same bracket of servanthood. In 1 Corinthians, I want to share this with you. Chapter 1, listen to these words that Apostle Paul writes. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus, verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Now pay attention to this. Therefore, you do not lack any everybody say any. any you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the lord jesus christ to be revealed i've read that so many times and as a young man i don't know if you do the same thing i tend to jump over the greetings because they're not important i want to get to the meaty stuff i want to get to the important stuff and so the first couple of verses in Ephesians and Colossians, God bless you, I, I miss you, blah. Okay, let's, let's move on. And I read this verse 
So many times as a young person and just jumped right over it. Paul is just trying to be nice without realizing the value of what he's saying. How many of you would want to be part of a church where there isn't a single spiritual gift lacking? I would. That's it? Just me? Any, thank you. Two, three. Imagine that. Imagine the har. There's no Romanian English word for that. Imagine being in a church where every spiritual gift is manifested. The gift of healing, the gift of discernment, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, prophetic word. Every single gift is manifested. The pride that I would have in my church. All the joys that I would have to be a member in a church where every single gift. Nici undar nu lipsia de miserica din Corinth. Yet the Bible says... That the church was on the verge of catastrophe. You understand? The church was on the verge of catastrophe, and it doesn't make any sense to me. What are you talking? How is that possible? How can we be a church full of the Spirit of God, full of the manifestation, every spiritual gift being present, and yet be on the verge of collapse? Let me tell you why. Because today, yesterday, and forever and ever, mintuiria e personala. Amen. Christianity is not a team sport. When I stand before God as my creator, I will receive my reward individually. Amen. That is the teaching of the gospel. And we're so quick to take credit for God's faithfulness among us. Not realizing that all of these things are simply vessels. We talked this morning about vessels. And if I had more time to prepare for that sermon, I would have loved to have brought with me jars. And just pass them out to people. You know, churches aren't full of the Spirit because the Spirit dwells inside of buildings. Churches are full of the Spirit because the Spirit dwells inside of people. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we forget that God is not concerned with the majority or the minority. God is concerned with you. God is concerned with me. And if we abandon this democratic mentality in the church, then we become just another organization. Oh, no. Oh, no, absolutely not. What that means, brother and sisters, that you and I, we have to develop a Joshua and Caleb mentality. Joshua and Caleb. Those are the kind of people that we ought to strive to be. And in the midst of all of that craziness, we see both Joshua and we see both Caleb rising up to the occasion. You know what I realized? That while for some... An event will be a crisis for others. That same event will be an opportunity. Let me tell you something again. While for some, an event will be a crisis for others, for the chosen few, for the ones that are walking the narrow way, that crisis is an opportunity. You see, I love David because David is a man after God's own heart. And if I could preach 100 sermons about one person, it would be David. And David comes into a crisis, a young boy, not a, pra- not a pastor, not a preacher, not a general, not a king. He's a shepherd. He's just a child. He's just a boy. And he steps into the crisis of all crises. Israel is confronted with Goliath, and you know the story. But where everybody saw a crisis, where everybody saw turmoil, where everyone was full of fear and despair, a man after God's own heart saw an opportunity. I want to ask you a question. What do you see in the church that you call home today? Do you see a crisis or do you see an opportunity? 
What do you see in the department that you are serving in? Do you see a crisis or do you see an opportunity? You know what I do? I looked at these children today. You know what I saw, Maranatha? An opportunity. Amen. Amen. I saw an opportunity. I saw an opportunity for someone who wants to lead somebody to Christ to do something. The church is a place where people who want to serve God have the opportunity to do so. But for others, for the Moses generation, it's just crisis, it's just problem, and it's just fear. And we learn from the Moses generation to not be led by the majority, but to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? And so a good prayer for you to pray this evening is, Lord, help me to see the opportunity. God, help me to see the opportunity. Lord, help me to see the opportunity. For David, Goliath was an opportunity. And David made the most out of that opportunity. And I've always said, you know, you could have preached so many sermons about how not to respond had David been killed in battle. You ever wonder what would have happened if David went to fight Goliath and David was slain in battle? Because I want to ask you a question. Did God ever send David to go fight on his behalf? Yes or no? No. I, in my Bible, it doesn't say that God said to David, go and slay Goliath. He had no business being there. God didn't tell him to go. He was out of his place, and we can so easily spiritualize and put people down. That's the mentality that the flesh has. Which brings us to the second lesson. The second lesson to learn from the Moses generation in times of crisis, don't critique. In times of crisis, if there's one thing you should not do is criticize. There is a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. Why? Because in times of crisis, unless you are the mouthpiece of God, you have the danger of bringing upon yourself absolute, absolute godly fury. In times of crisis, you know what happens? Fear. Fear shows up. That's what happens in times of crisis. The Bible says that in the times of David, in Numbers chapter 13, as soon as reports spread of the fortified cities, as soon as reports spread of the giants that, that were in the land, as soon as that report was spread, fear began to grip the nation of Israel. And let me tell you something, brother and sister. Crisis and fear will always go hand in hand. You will never have crisis without fear. Have you ever seen your children get afraid of something, a spider? And for them, it's a crisis. But for you as a mature person, as a mother, as a father, as someone who has the power to just step on that problem, step on that crisis and eradicate it out of existence, there is no fear. There's a crisis, but there is no fear. Whenever there's a crisis, fear always shows up. And it's why in Timothy, the good book reminds us that we do not have a spirit of fear. We don't have a spirit of fear. And so we learn from the Moses generation that in times of crisis, you don't look to the majority. You don't look to the minority. You look to the father. And in times of crisis, one of the things that you ought not to do is to criticize now, that doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that we don't have debate. It doesn't mean that we don't speak because the Bible says that Caleb got up and he spoke. I'm not saying in times of crisis, pretend that there's no fire. 
In times of crisis, pretend that there's no giant at the door because the Bible says clearly to us that Caleb hushed the audience. The whole assembly, Caleb got up, he took the mic, he said, Pastor, give me the mic, I got this. And the Bible says he quieted the entire assembly. Criticizing and speaking are not one and the same. If you tell people to not criticize in times of crisis, they accuse you of wanting to silence the people. Can I get an amen? I've been at enough church board meetings. I know how it goes, all right? And we fall into this danger of thinking that criticism and healthy conversation and debate are the same. The Bible says that Caleb stood up and Caleb spoke and Caleb opened his mouth. And you know what words we need to hear in times of crisis? We need to hear words that require more faith, not less faith. We need to hear words that put more of a burden on us to sacrifice than less sacrifice. How do you know which decision to make? How do you know which path to take? I'll give you my personal experience and how I tend to think in these situations. When you're at a crossroads, take the path that requires you to put more faith in God versus less faith in God. You'll never go wrong. When you're at a crossroads, when you find yourself in the middle of a crisis, choose the path that requires more sacrifice from you as opposed to less sacrifice from you. When you're faced with a crisis, when you're at a crossroads, choose the path that when walked brings him more glory, not less glory. If you do any one of these three things, you will never be led astray. You see, the path that they wanted to take was the easier path. Oh, we've already known what's in Egypt. We already know what happened to the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. What happened? It was destroyed. You see, there was a point when the Israelites were afraid of the Egyptians. And the Lord split the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, when that enemy, when that army is defeated, now all of a sudden, we're okay with going back because it's easier. And so we'd rather go back to places that we've already been set free from as opposed to having new victories in our lives. And so we learn from the Joshua generation, don't go with the majority. Don't criticize in times of crisis. When at a crossroads, always take the path that requires more from you, not less from you. What else do we learn? Be weary of those who humble the Lord's servants. Does that sound political? Maybe. Don't care how it sounds. Because let me tell you one thing that really bothered me in reading Numbers chapter 14. By this point in his life, Moses is an old man. By this point in his life, Moses is not a young buck. And the Bible says there came a point where he falls to his face. He falls below, right, listen to what it says here. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in the front of the whole Israelite assembly. I always wondered, when David was in the cave, hiding from Saul, wrongfully being pursued, wrongfully looking to be murdered, already having been anointed king by Samuel, a very important, a very, very important point here that as the illegitimate king is on the throne. The legitimate king is hiding in a cave. Now, let me ask you a question. You've been in a trial. 
you've been through a tough spot. You're praying for deliverance. And the enemy that you're praying for deliverance from happens to sleep in the cave that you're hiding in. And you have the sword in your hand. I always wondered how did David have the spiritual discernment to not strike Saul? Because at face value, let me tell you right now, it looked like an answered prayer. You could have wrote a psalm about that. You could have wrote a psalm about God's deliverance. Yet the only reason that David didn't strike Saul down is because David said, how can I, a man after God's own heart, strike the Lord's anointed? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. In times of crisis, be weary of, of people. Be weary of individuals that stretch their hands over the Lord's anointed. Be weary of that. In the Moses generation, they're ready to stone Moses and Aaron. You realize the wickedness that you have to have to get to that point? And God's seeing that. God, they're not trying to stone God. They're trying to stone God's elect. And we see the flesh carnality coming into the assembly. We want our church to be blessed by the Lord. Amen. You have ordinations coming up. Amen. Pray for them. Amen. You have young children here. Maybe the next pastor is that young man right there. Pray for him. Amen. There's a time for the church to pray. Amen? Amen? There's a time to pray. And we forget about that, that God in his wisdom, God in his knowledge has told us the things that he expects from us. And so from the Moses generation, we learn. And we hopefully teach our kids to show honor. Amen? means parents, when your child comes home from Sunday school and says, the Sunday school teacher was mean to me, you don't pick up the phone to automatically criticize the Sunday school teacher. Because in doing so, you're not teaching your child honor. You don't have that problem in your church, but we have that problem in our church. Where we have young kids that are in the Sunday school, going to get an amen, and all of a sudden, mom's precious little angel who can do no wrong creates controversy because they were mistreated. And Sora Kutare and Fratele Kutare, who loves their child so much, is going to make a scene. Why? Because they don't show honor. They don't show honor. You know what biblical wisdom says? That if you have a problem, that's the wonderful thing about the gospel, that there are answers for all of these things. That if the Sunday school teacher who's trying her best, trying his best to lead your child into the knowledge of God, that if they make a mistake, that you give them a call in private, one-on-one. -on -one, and you say, hey, can I talk to you? I appreciate so much what you're doing for my children. Joshua said so-and-so, and, and I know how children are. You want to shed some light on the situation? Spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. I'm preaching to somebody today because it's not in my notes. I'm preaching to somebody today. And in doing so, we teach our children honor. Amen? Amen? And children who have honor for Sunday school teachers tomorrow will have honor for youth leaders tomorrow and the day after that for pastors. And all of a sudden, we have a healthy church where God's people behave in a godly manner. Amen? Amen. But the Moses generation doesn't do that. The Moses generation is a generation where honor is lost, where those words have no value. They're replaced by public opinion and idea, and the result is catastrophe. 
May this church, may our local church where we're members never be led by public opinion, surveys, but by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says that the devil is the one who looks to cause division. It's not that you're well ill-intentioned or that I'm ill-intentioned, but at the end of the day, we have forgotten that the church has an enemy. Do we still believe that? Do we believe that the devil is still a roaring lion looking to destroy God? Do we believe that? Or have we gotten to a point where we minimize every church conflict to just an exchange of ideas? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The reason churches have problems is not because people don't know how to communicate. It's not because people are in the wrong. Churches will have problems as long as there is an enemy. Because the enemy will look to create strife. And you and I, in our wisdom, in our discernment, in our spiritual maturity, will recognize that. And in times of crisis, we behave as godly men and as godly women. And we do not give the devil an opportunity to create division. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. I apologize. I'm using my wife's Bible. <laughs> I don't think she has Ephesians chapter 4 in here. <laughs> As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received, you may ask? Be completely humble and gentle. How many of you can be humble and gentle? Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You want to live a life worthy of the calling you have received? Listen to the next verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Oh, you know, we think that if you get a PhD, if you go on a missions trip, if you lead that department, if you have the mic, if you're leading worship, if you're somebody important, if you get elected to the church board, that somehow those things matter to God. They matter to us. To God, you know what matters? That everything that I do makes me worthy of the calling that I have received. Amen. That is what God cares about. And the criteria for living a life worthy of the blood of Jesus is what we just read. Humbleness. Patience. Long-suffering. Making an effort to bring unity into the church. We've become too sophisticated for our own good. Let me tell you that right now. We have become too sophisticated for our own good young people we have become too mission-minded for our own good let me tell you if the biblical theology that you're adopting from i don't care what book i don't care what pastor leads to disunity in the church that raised you baptized you you need to burn that book because when the holy spirit is guiding you into the place that god wants you to be the church is built up amen there is unity in those things that is how the Holy Spirit works. The Bible says, beware for the devil disguised himself as an angel of light. And I'm flabbergasted when I see young people so on fire for God, but missing all the qualities that we just, I'm so on fire for God, but I just can't wait. The church board, they're just not getting it, Chris. I mean, I want to do all these things. There are so many people who know Jesus, but nobody cares but me. There's no patience. 
There's no unity. You realize that a third of the angels who saw God, worshipped God, were in the presence of God, were led astray by the devil. Do you realize the power that he has to deceive the masses? And you and I, full of pride, full of smarts, full of books that we read, we're so quick to speak, and God says, no, no, no. You want to be worthy of the calling? You want to know you're on the right path? You want to make sure that you're not making decisions that will destroy the future of your family? Make sure that there's peace, patience, humbleness, unity. Just because you've been walking for 40 years doesn't mean you're making progress. That's one of the other things that we learn from the Moses generation. Do we still believe that the godly life is one that produces more godliness versus less godliness? Do we still believe that? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, Apostle Paul talks about this, and it's one of my favorite verses that he has, and I want to share it with you because the Israelites were a group of people that were led in the wilderness for 40 years by the Lord. And you would think that if you were led by the Lord for 40 years, that you would be making progress. You would think that if you were born in the church, got baptized in the church, attended church service for 20, 30, 40 years, that the simple time that you've invested into your faith would produce results. The Moses generation teaches us that's a lie. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says this. Since we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again elementary truths of God's word all over again. Apostle Paul is saying something very simple. If you're not growing, you're dying. I want to ask you, if we were to give you the microphone, the way we gave these young teenagers the microphone this morning to hear their testimony, if we were to give you the microphone and we were to ask you a simple question, tell us how much you've grown in the last year, what would you say? Tell us how that last trial grew you. What would your response be? I love talking to people that say, that's not very biblical because the Bible teaches us that in every day that we're walking with the Lord, we become more Christ-like, amen? Now, it might sound good, it might sound good, but it just doesn't happen to be biblical. God's looking for my faith to be grown, not to be maintained, amen? And we see that the Moses generation is a generation that for 40 years, they're being led by Moses, led by the Lord, making no progress, getting no blessing, being not an inch closer to the promised land. How many of you want that type of a Christianity? I don't. I don't want that for my kids. God doesn't want that for me. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Amen. I know the plans that I have for you, but in order for you to receive my blessing, there are certain things that you have to do. There's a certain way that you have to live. And if you don't live that way, it's not because I'm unfaithful. It's because I won't allow you to receive the blessing and the promise. I believe we are here tonight because we want to receive God's blessing over our life. If we want to receive God's blessing over our life, we have to realize all the mistakes made by the Moses generation. We have to reject every single one of them. We have to make sure that they're not embodied in any of our brothers, in any of our sisters. We have to weed it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to call it out when we see it. 
We have to put it before the Lord when it doesn't want to go away. But by every mean necessary, we need to fight to be the Joshua generation. The Joshua generation takes hold of God's promises. The Joshua generation is one that fights the battles that need to be fought. The Joshua generation is the generation that God is calling you and I to be. Do you want it? If you want it, I want you to prepare yourself for a prayer. And I want us to pray for a couple of things, very specific things tonight. First and foremost, I want us to pray for the youth of this house. Amen? Amen. I want us to pray for the youth of this house. If this was the Puritan era and it was 1790 and I had two hours to preach, I would preach about the generation that followed the Joshua generation. And in the book of Judges, after the Joshua generation fights all of their battles, we find one of the saddest verses you will ever read as a parent. The Joshua generation is the generation that does everything right but gets it wrong in one spot. In the book of Judges, it says that after the Joshua generation fell asleep and went to be with its fathers, there came another generation that did not know the Lord. You know, I want to get to heaven. Before I'm a father, before I'm a husband, before I'm a pastor, I'm Theos Corsa. I want to get to heaven. I want my life to be a life that brings him glory. But I don't want to get there alone. I don't want to get there alone. And so we're going to pray for God to bless our children. But you know what good children need? Godly children need godly examples. And we're going to pray for God to use us to be godly examples. Dacă sunteți bunici, vă implor, rugați-vă pentru copiii voștri să fie părinți plini de Duhul Sfânt. Ca nepoții voștri să vadă în părinții lor ce înseamnă să fii plini de Duhul Sfânt. If you're a parent, pray for your children. Do we still believe in binecuvântări? Do we still do them? I believe in them. I believe that when you bring a child before the Lord and you mark him and you set him aside the same way that Samuel was set aside, that child will not be ignored by the Lord. He could run. He can be prodigal. He can go far away, but the hand of God will be over him every single day. Amen. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. We're praying for our children. We're praying for our children's children. We're praying for church leadership. We're praying for God to use this church to build up his kingdom. Amen. We're praying for this church to be a place where the gospel is preached unapologetically. Amen. We're praying for this to be a place where the name of Jesus is glorified. Amen. And if as a church, we pray for our children, we preach a truthful gospel, and we always praise God, we've done our part. Amen. Let's pray, church.